بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بات الحمد للہ ٹائٹ از دا ٹوینٹی سکس آف فیبروری ان دی ایئر ٹو تھاؤزنڈ اینڈ ٹوینٹی So, with regards to the graves themselves, our beloved messenger, he instructed sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ahfiru wa a'amiku wa ausi'u. Dig the grave. Dig it deep and wide. This is in Abu Dawood, number 3215. So, these are the instructions for the grave itself. Dig the grave. Now, what's interesting? Ahfiru. Digging means manually. So you can use, obviously, like some people do now, they'll get a, you know, a tractor or whatever to pull the earth out. But that isn't what the Prophet instructs. Though it's fine, you're not sinful. And also there's a great reward in digging a grave. The Prophet mentioned in one hadith, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whoever digs a grave for a brother or sister, it is as if he's given them accommodation till the day of judgment. So it's a tremendous reward. So digging the grave. Then he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, وَأَعْمِكُ Dig it deep, which I'll explain in a bit. وَأَوْسِعُ And wide. Meaning it shouldn't be claustrophobic. There should be some width as well. So how deep should you dig the grave? In Ibn Abi Shayba, in his Al-Musandaf, number 11,663, Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu, he ordered the grave to be dug to the height and width of the deceased. Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu who ordered the grave to be dug to the height and the width of the deceased. So if a person, let's say he was six foot, then you go six foot in depth. But this is what Amir al-Mu'mineen uh, instructed. So it's not always the same. So if you get an extremely tall person, for instance, maybe he's, let's say, seven foot plus, According to Amir al-Mu'mineen, the grave should be that height as well. Uh, uh, the height of the grave should be that as well. And the width, obviously, accommodating for the deceased. So questions people pose, why? And the answer is, we just follow what has been given to us by the relevant authorities. Indeed, it is sufficient that the grave is dug deep enough to prevent any order from exiting and to prevent beasts of prey and dogs from reaching the deceased. So this is obvious. So predators, they've got very strong sense of smell. So obviously, the further down you bury, the less they will be able to get to it. So obviously, there's wisdom why you need to bury as well. With regards to visiting, our beloved messenger, he very informatively said, said, visit the graves, but do not say any falsehood there. Visit the graves. But do not say any falsehood there. This is in Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, number 23,052. So look how interesting. We're not allowed to speak falsehood anywhere. So why did the Prophet ﷺ single out the graves? Because how many innovations which are now rampant at graveyards occurred as a result of this? You go into the graveyards in certain parts of the Muslim world, you actually think you're in a city. In the drive, this, because this is a graveyard. They've built up so much. They've got roads. They've got, you know, mausoleums. So how did that come about? People were speaking falsehood at the graves. 
for people listened and then one thing to another eventually you end up with something completely different so the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said visit the graves but don't speak falsehood there and this partially explains the famous hadith where the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said i prohibited you from visiting graves but now i allow you because they remind you of the next life so in this authentic report in imam ahmad's musnad why did the prophet prohibit people from visiting graves both men and women because it is a easy place to be fall into misguidance if you haven't got uh, the relevant understanding so the prophet prohibited it. imagine imagine there was a time in the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam nobody was allowed to visit graves because strange that is but he then said now i allow you to visit meaning you got understanding now so keep in that in mind would it be fair to say there can be another prohibition now because people are doing some very strange things at the graves and then he said but now i allow you to visit because they help you in remembering the next life so there's a great blessing in visiting the deceased so the graveyard itself obviously there's a few rules and regulations in terms of supplications the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that when you go to the graves make a sincere supplication i for the dead so this is a sunnah so when you go to visit the the people who passed to make a sincere dua <coughs> questions people ask can the deceased hear when a person comes to visit and the response is there are verses which apparently state that the dead cannot hear the living so is mentioned in two or three places in the quran and the verse goes thus you cannot make those in the graves hear you so this is the gist of the verse you cannot make those in the graves hear you so there's one view amongst the scholars that the dead cannot hear or have any understanding of what's happening with the living however the majority of scholars they state that these verses are not a proof that the dead cannot hear why because allah the almighty and glorious does not say the dead cannot hear the living what does he say you sallallahu alaihi wasallam cannot make the dead hear so if you actually look at the verse critically allah taala is not talking about the dead he is saying to his beloved you cannot make the dead hear you meaning i am the one who allows this so those verses which people quote actually aren't a proof they quote in the verse but you have to look at it critically and you understand it's not a it's not a statement by allah the almighty and glorious is talking about the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and in a nutshell abu huraira radhiyallahu said in a sahih hadith that the dead the minimum they can hear is when somebody visits them so if you go to visit a brother or sister that you are acquainted with and you are near them you converse they can hear that much abu huraira goes this is the minimum so why is that important to highlight because you you can converse with the dead some people even say no you know for instance auzu billah i heard that you know one of the so called imams he said somebody asked him goes when i visit my the grave of my parents can i talk to them and he goes knock yourself out nobody's listening that's the words he said to him knock yourself out is nothing happening so stay away look how first of all 
even if that was true, is that how you speak to somebody who wants to visit his parents? <laughs> Secondly, where did you get that from? <laughs> Astaghfirullah. So, how should you converse? One report says that you should sit at the grave. So, you know, you crouch down. Why? Because when you stand, you give the impression that you're there for a short period. And the dead, they're uneasy over this. But when you sit, they realize that you're going to spend a bit of time. So you crouch down and you, you converse. What do you tell them? Whatever you wish. You can mention what's happening in the world with the family. You can also make dua that Allah Ta'ala, you know, helps them in their next life. And you can also ask them to make a supplication for you as well. There's no harm, especially if it's your parents. Please remember me beyond dua, so I've remembered you in mind. And where's the proof that the dead can make dua for the living? Is a hadith. The hadith is in Tabrani, authentic. And the gist of the hadith, the Prophet said, when the deceased believing soul ascends to the heavens, in the fifth or the sixth heaven, the deceased believing souls meet him. And they converse with each other. And the hadith, the Prophet said, when the deceased believing dead are informed of their loved ones who are alive, if they hear good, they make this dua. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, keep him firm. And if they hear something other than this, they say, Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make them return. So in this Sahih hadith in Tabarani, the dead are making dua for the living. So note again, there's a communication between the dead and the living. And also the word barzakh. So Allah Ta'ala mentions that the between the two bodies of waters, there's a barzakh. And the word barzakh is also used between the living and the dead. So if you look at what they've discovered about the barzakh between the two bodies of waters, it helps to explain the word. So what have they discovered? The barrier, how does it work? How does it keep the two bodies of water separate? So the fresh water hits the barrier. As it hits the barrier, it starts changing. Until when it crosses, it becomes salt, saline water. But the saline water on the other side hits the same barrier and it changes. And when it comes onto the other side, it becomes pure water. So how is the barrier working? The barrier is keeping the bodies of water separate. But how are they keeping it separate? They're transforming the bodies of waters. And what's amazing, both ways. So now keeping that in mind, barzakh. So what does that tell you? The living, they travel through the barzakh, they enter the dead. But what's fascinating, even according to science, it can go the other way as well. So the dead also have access to the living to whatever degree Allah wishes. So again, this is also something we need to be aware of and nothing to argue over, which some people do. And, and the tragedy of tragedies, let alone the deceased believing folk, some people go to the extent because the prophets aren't aware of the living. So they go to the greatest of creations and because even they're not aware. So obviously there's a serious problem now. Thereafter, is the long journey back to our loving Lord and paradise. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he said, I swear by the one besides whom there is no deity worthy of worship. No one has believed in anything better than believing in the unseen. 
This is in Hakim in his Mustadrak, number 3033, Ibn Abi Hatim in his Tafsir, number 66. So now think about that. He swore an oath, Abdullah ibn Masood. He was no liar. But he swore an oath, meaning that this is something that he wanted to get through to us with, with a passion. And what did he swear an oath on? There is nothing better for you to believe in than believe in the ghib. So how shocking this statement is to the atheists. <laughs> Imagine you tell them that. Because what do you, what do you believe in to the atheists? Because we believe what we see. And they're proud of that. We respond by saying there's nothing better to believe in what you can't see. What would their response be to that? They think you're brainwashed. And the response is that what Ibn Masood said. Hence, if this is the reality, how can we believe in the unseen? There's only one way. And that is through the necessity of divine revelation. For it is only through this we can acquire knowledge of the journey after death. Thus the utmost importance of constantly reminding ourselves of these absolute realities. Think about it. It's no good going to a physics department and say, what happens after death? What's he going to tell you? Well, let's go to the biology department. He goes, what are you coming to me for? This is not my department. So which department do I go to? Revelation. And that is what Ibn Musud said is the greatest thing you can believe in. And there's a fascinating report. The Hadith, Hudayfa uh, radiyallahu the Hadith is in Behuki in his Sunan al-Qubra. And Abdullah ibn Masood, he said to Hudayfa, please give me advice. Oh, Hudayfa. Hudayfa radiyallahu said, have you got yakin? So Abdullah ibn Masood said, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yes. When I read that report, it made me laugh. So imagine, give me advice. So normally, who's asking for advice? Bachara. So Hudayfa says to him, Normally, is your mind a bit weak? Is that why you're asking me? What did he say to Ibn Masood? Have you got Yaqeen? Yaqeen is an Iman. It's basically seeing and not seeing is the same. Have you reached that level? And Ibn Masood didn't say, well, I don't know. He goes, by God, yes. So what's the point of asking for advice? So that same month, he said, no one has believed in anything better than believing in the unseen. And this is why it's mentioned at the beginning of the Quran. Alif Lami, Zalik al Kitab, Lari Bafi, Hudalil Muttaki, Aladina Yuminuna Bil Rib, Yukimu Nasalata, Umim Marazaknahum Yunfuku. Alif Lami, this is the book in which there is no doubt. And then what does it say? Lari Bafi, Hudalil Muttaki, a guidance for those who believe, Aladina Yuminuna Bil Rib, those who believe in the unseen. Allah He mentions it immediately. Meaning this is something you can only get through divine revelation. And you can get to a level where seeing and not seeing is the same. So the shaitan, he will make sure that you turn away from the revelation. And he does, he plays very silly games sometimes. And the scholars point them out. For instance, in Bukhari's Al-Dabal Mufrad number 446, Shaykh al-Bani rahmatullah says Hassan in his check. Amir al-Mu'mineen Sayyidina Umar radiyallahu he said, Make these snakes that enter your homes fear you before you fear them. Indeed, the Muslims amongst the jinn will never appear to you. 
Subhanallah. So let's look at this. So this is an authentic hadith in Bukhari's Al-Dabal Mufrat. So what was Sayyidina Umar highlighting? He was saying that if snakes enter your homes, make sure they fear you more than you fear them. So straight away we've got a problem. So let me go back to Abdullah ibn Masood. <laughs> so Abdullah ibn Masood physically he was frail. He was maybe around five foot in height. He had absolutely no flesh on his legs. His calves were just bone. So he was a very frail man. So the hadith in Imam Ahmad's Musnad, he's doing a talk. And all of a sudden he leaves up with the stuff and he smashes the snake, kills it. Then he comes back and starts narrating again. And the people are looking in amazement. And then he says, I heard Rasulullah say that whoever kills the snake with the first strike, he gets 30 good deeds. Whoever kills it with the second strike gets 20 good deeds. Whoever kills it with the third, 10 good deeds. So again, what happened to his frail, frailty? Now you get a bodybuilder. Yes. Snake comes, he's jumping on chair. Right? So it's not a case of physically being big. It's basically Iman. When he didn't fear the snake, he went straight for it. And what's interesting is we don't even know what the snake was. Imagine, what was it? Black Mamba. I don't know. If it's Abu, we bother if it was Black Mamba. Right? We get scared of others, right? And it's not even poisonous. Then what did Umar Radiyallahu say? The Muslims amongst the jinn living in the houses in the shape of small snakes will never appear to you. Meaning these are mischievous jinn. The Muslim jinn don't frighten you. That's the last thing. So now Muslim jinn. You've got Muslim jinn. So in Islam, we don't believe in haunted houses. That's Jakanore. We believe every house has got jinn. So no point saying that this house is haunted. Islamically, you, you're just talking rubbish. Every house has got jinn. The Prophet said, the Muslim jinn reside with the Muslims. The unbelieving jinn reside with the unbelievers. So you are Muslim jinn in your house. Where do they live? The hadith says they live in the loft. In the, uh, you know, away from your... That's why you hear bumps in the night. <laughs> you know, tuk, tuk, tuk. <laughs> no, they don't start getting worried about you when you're making you know, bumps during the days. So why are you worried about that? What do they do? The Prophet Wasallam said that they protect you from the evil jinn. So one of the scholars jokingly said, that's their rent. You pay rent, you know, cost of living. <laughs> that their rent is keeping all the shaitans out. So they're not just like, you know, uh, squatters' rights, you know, they, they're doing their job. The Prophet wasallam said, they come down to eat when you eat. So when you eat, they eat with you. But don't worry, you don't have to get special portions for them. Allah provides for them. Here, Umar radiallahu said, the Muslims amongst the jinn will never appear to you. So if you get something appearing to you, that is not a Muslim jinn, according to Umar. So now what's interesting about that? Well, what happened to the Muslim jinn? They're supposed to protect me. <laughs> the answer is, there's levels of strength. If you are strong, they'll be strong. If you are weak, they'll be weak. So if you've got a stronger jinn of the unbelievers, he may enter because the Muslim jinn aren't strong enough. Have you understood? Right? So this is Umar telling you this. Now, question. Could you have learned that from physics and biology? Revelation is protecting this. Know the key not to fear them, otherwise they will harm you. So for instance, there was a Tabi'in 
and his tabi'in, his, uh, his teacher was Abdullah ibn Abbas. And this tabi'in was playing tahajjid. And Ibn Abbas appeared before him. So Abdullah, uh, so the tabi'in, he's playing his tahajjid. And when he gives the salam, he looks, and it's Ibn Abbas. The tabi'in then goes straight for him to strike him. And then Ibn Abbas, in inversion, comes, he falls over the wall. Because there's a big crash. And the tabi'in then looks, nobody there. The next day, the Tabeen says, uh, one of the rebellious jinn tried to uh, confuse me. So I dealt with it. So now, same situation. You're playing Tajid. Your Sheikh appears before you. You might even start saying, Subhanallah, Karamat. Next minute, the jinn is rolling in the aisles thinking, yeah, Karyam, Karamat, I'll give you Karamat. Right? These are the games they play. But was he scared of him? No. And look how interesting he felt. Indeed, the accursed shayateen are constantly up to mischief in our dwellings if they get the opportunity. In Bukhari's Aladab al-Mufrad number 1191, Shaykh al-Bani states Hassan in his check, Abu Umama radiyallahu he said, Shaytan comes to one of your beds after his family have prepared it for him and he throws sticks, stones or other things on it to make him angry with his family. Thus, when he finds something like that on his bed, he should not get angry with his family. For that is one of the deeds of shaitan. So what's interesting? It happens. You know, you, you go, get into your bed and all of a sudden you feel something in your bed. You take the blanket off and it's a marble. So then you go, you start blaming your kids. Was he a kid? <laughs> right? Don't let the bed books buy. That's another one. <laughs> Just giving you TK and you've got bed books, right? So, and also this, you know, you, you probably got your own narratives. You know, what the heck? Where did that go? Pen? You know, once I went into the, there's a pen there. What's that? There's a bloody pen. That's it. Ah, playing games. Well, why is he doing it? What did Abu Umama say? Because he wants you to get angry with your family. It's causing mischief. Because if you notice this, he goes, just say, A'udhu Billahi Manish Shaitan Rajim. Who is this Shaitan? His name is Dasim. Dasim. How do we know? Amir al-Mu'mineen Sayyidina Umar, he said, in Hafiz ibn Hajar Asqalani in his Munabbihat, in the chapter on Council in Nights, Dasim commands houses. If a man were to enter his house without greeting his wife and family with as-salam and mentioning the name of Allah the Exalted, then Dasim will cause a separation between husband and wife, such that it leads to divorce, separation or violence. So Dasim, he's one of the uh, generals of shaitan and he's in charge of houses. But how does he get in charge? He can only have access if you do not give salam, remember your Lord when you enter your house. Now what's interesting, it only takes one not to do it. You might be doing it regular, but shaitan's waiting. If somebody else enters, and they're singing a tune, shaitan's singing a tune right behind him. He's in. Like you say, he's got his foot in. So it's important that all the families give salam, or at least take the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when they enter. And what does he do when he enters? We mentioned, he plays games, starts putting things on your bed. And 
eventually what happens? He causes separation. You divorce your wife, or if not, violence. You know, when you get those scenarios where the husband's beating his wife, or sometimes vice versa. Right? Who's causing that dancing? So why why have I mentioned this? Without revelation, you're at the total mercy of these shaitans. What did Ibn Masood say? The best thing to believe in is revelation, the ghib. So when we are hearing revelation, we've actually got the elixir for happiness. Allah Ta'ala is showing His kindness to us. But how many people are totally oblivious to this? Let alone non-Muslims. Muslims are not interested in revelation. Think about that. You're Muslim, yeah? So what about the Quran? What about it? What about the Sunnah? What about it? I'm not a scholar. Anything. And yet, what is his you know, energy? His energy is towards the, you know, the battle, isn't it? Astaghfirullah. So all I mentioned today, oh, just to add this, sorry. When you, the Hadith mentions that when you take your clothes off, before you take your clothes off, say Bismillah. If you don't, shaitan looks at your nakedness. The Hadith is in Tirmidhi. So you don't say after. You don't, go, you, know, you, don't, you don't get naked and then say Bismillah. <laughs> right? Before you take your clothes off. If you remember halfway, then say it quickly. Bismillah. Why would Shaitan want to see you naked? You know, he's not an artist. He's not going to draw you naked. He's after mischief. Secondly, the Hadith says, when you come out of your bedding, don't leave it in a mess. It goes roll up the bedding. Otherwise, shaitan enters the bed. So people end what happens? You get up, they get up in the morning. <laughs> that's, their, that's their waking up the one. <laughs> and then they crack their knuckles, whatever. Right? And then the bed just left. And then they go. So who's entered the bed after you? Good old Darsim. Right? Let me leave a few eggs here. Right? So bedding, make sure you leave it neat. Clothing as well. The Hadith says, uh, don't, don't just throw your clothing, fold it. Mm-hmm. Not about happy people have. They say, Bismillah, they just throw their clothes and leave it folded. Although a shaitan will have access to those clothing. Another hadith says, before you enter the toilet, mm-hmm. you say, Bismillah, Allahumma inni ya'udhibika min al-khubbati wal khabaith. In the name of Allah, I seek refuge from all the filthy male and female uh, filthy ones. Khabaith. Once an exorcist got rid of a jinn and he asked, he goes, why do you all live in uh, toilets? So he was a Muslim jinn. He goes, astaghfirullah, sheikh. He goes, Muslims don't live in toilets. It's the khaba'ith. Khaba'ith are the filthy ones, the kufar jinn. There's no Molana sahab in toilet, right? So you might have a padri in there. <laughs> but when you go in there, that's where the filthy jinn are. And also the portals of the shaitans come from the toilets. So you have to be very careful there. Filthy the place, the more shaitans are attracted to it. And also what's interesting, people are fond of spending more time in filthy places. You're supposed to spend more time in the masjids. They spend more time on the toilet. Right? Why? Because shaitan wants access to you. People get ill. And when you leave, what do you say? Ghufranak. <coughs> means two things. Forgive me and thank you. Wafranak wa shukrak. That's the meaning. So why are you saying asking forgiveness? Ya Allah, I couldn't remember you in the toilet. I ask forgiveness. And when you're leaving, you're saying thank you as well. Why? Thank you for saving me from those shaitans. 
Right? So note, the shaitans are around you. They're waiting for the opportunity. And all of these are, you can only get through the divine revelation. You know, subhanAllah. Are there any questions you'd like to ask? Subhanallah bihamdi, subhanakallahumma bihamdi ka ishtu lai lahi illa anta astafari ka atubu alayka wa zubillahi wa shalala ajim subhanallah rabbi ka rabbi izzati amma yasifun wa salamu radamu al-salim alhamdulillahi rabbi al-alamin wa salamu alayhi 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 wa salamu al